Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. A few weeks ago, Don began a series looking at modern day revivals that had swept the world over the last 50 to 60 years not simply from a historical perspective, but with the aim that something would be stirred within us, that we would echo the words of Habakkuk when he says the following, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. That incredible prayer of Habakkuk's. In so doing, we discovered that in such movements, some quite out there claims were made by some of those who were involved in the revivals. They made some outlandish statements in regards to what they said that God had spoken to them about. And it was one of the challenging things that sometimes they said things that, despite the revival that was going on, would make us just think, oh, maybe a sharp intake of breath. And some of the things they said were quite provocative. We just wondered, was it actually true? So this then led us to unpacking the matter of hearing the voice of God and how does he speak to us? And then we did this through a message. Then we had a couple of fireside chats and uh, they are all available on podcast. And so therefore today, I want to wrap up this series by giving us a set of filters through which we can and should run any revelation, any impression, any dream, any prophecy, any word that is given to us by, over us, run it through a grid to ensure that it is truly from God, giving us a grid to put things through so that we have that peace in our spirit and in our, in our soul about it. See, the whole area of hearing God's voice, if not scares a lot of people, can intimidate to a certain degree. One prominent reason for this is that we have all seen or known of people who claim to have heard from God and are acting on his voice, and they quite clearly have not heard from God. And yet they continue to live their life as if they are, and at the very least come across as strange and different in not a good way. Since we don't want to be like that, we avoid the whole scene if we're not careful. If hearing God's voice is going to make us act like that, if it's gonna make us strange, then we would quite frankly prefer to be deaf. Hearing God's voice doesn't have to make us weird. Jesus was the most whole person. He was the most sane person who has ever walked this planet. He was also the most alert to and most in touch with the voice of God. John 5.30 says, Of myself I am unable to do anything as the voice comes to me, so I give a decision. And my decision is right because I have no desire to do what is, I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, but only what is pleasing to him who sent me. Don often says, I think he said it once publicly, but he often says this privately, people who are weird weren't made weird by hearing God's voice. They were that way before they heard God's voice. Therefore, 
The answer to counterfeit voices and experiences and weirdness is not to abandon the supernatural altogether, but rather to know how to navigate it correctly, how to navigate, how to negotiate something that we believe is from God or a word that somebody says they want to share with us. We don't stop using money because someone produces counterfeit notes. You learn to detect and discern the true from the false. Some people might say, well, you know, I mean, if God gives you a word, don't worry about it, just obey it, just do whatever God says. That might sound spiritual, but it's not what the Bible tells us. It is clearly what the Bible, is not what the Bible says. The Bible actively encourages us to test such things. In my experience, many Christians do not properly test any type of so-called supernatural communication they receive. They receive, they just naively just say, oh, well, God spoke to me, or God spoke to me through that person. And that is not the way to go. We need to test everything that comes our way. And if we don't test, we can end up disappointed, discouraged, and above all, confused. They just received it. Ask us all, when we last received a word from the Lord that was supposedly from God, did you say thank you, but then say, I'll go away and test it? Or did you just automatically receive it? You know, the Bible tells us in Thessalonians, test all things, hold fast what is good. It tells us then in Corinthians, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if, he, if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Then 1 John 4 says these words, Behold, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come, into the, has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. The word, the test, in the New Testament means to carefully analyze, to scrutinize, to prove, and to test. You know, when I personally receive a word from someone in a situation, I, if I know them, I receive it. I will pray, but I receive them. If somebody walks up to me and I don't know them from a bar of soap and they say, I really believe that God has given you this word, I always go away, as it were, and I sit at my desk and I sort of do this and say, Lord, I want to give you this word, not just automatically receiving it. You know, we don't want people speaking words over our life that are not of God and we don't have to receive them. We see James 3 verse 17 invites scrutiny because it is telling us what to expect from above. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. In the Greek, the words easy to be entreated mean open to reason, willing to yield, reasonable, ready to be convinced. There is implicit within this verse kindness, a building up. No sort of you must do this. It's free from coercion. If any word 
any dream, any vision, fail these easy-to-be-entreated tests, then it needs to be questioned at the very least. I actually think it probably needs to be rejected. So we're going to look at some very practical ways to do what I'm encouraging us to do. When we receive a word, to put it through a grid of reference and see if it truly is of God. This is 101, and a lot of this, I hope, will just be a reminder to the things that we already know. First of all, this is where we always start. Any revelation you receive that is from God will agree with the letter and the spirit of scriptures. God will not contradict his written word. 2 Timothy 3.16, that tells us that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. As we know, it is God-breathed. It says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Prophet Mike Murdoch says about this verse, the Holy Spirit who inspired the scriptures will not say anything different to us in the special revelation he gives us. He will not say anything different to what scripture says. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 17 to 20 tells us that in God there is no yes and no. There's no yes and no. His yes is yes. The Message Bible speaks about it in the way that the only the message can do it. It says yes and no, no on again, off again, waffling from God. You can guess that's the message really, can't you? Whenever God says yes in the scripture, then he will say yes through other means as well. Whenever he says no in scripture, then he will say no through other means as well. God is never, ever inconsistent. His, his disclosures are always consistent with scripture. Whenever you have someone telling you that God has led him or her to do something that scripture has forbidden, then you know they're deceived. You know they're deceived. If you receive revelation that can contradict scripture, then bin it. It doesn't matter how supernatural it is. Supernatural is not the standard by which you measure how authentic a revelation is. Supernatural is not a standard by which we measure how authentic revelation is. Sadly, people can be taken in by something appearing to be supernatural. It may well be supernatural, but it may well not be from God. Let me tell you one easy way. People get deceived. Well, when they say to you, or when they pray about whether they should do things or not do things that scripture is very clear about. Let me say that again. When they start to pray about things that scripture says not to do, Oh, I feel drawn to that person who is not my spouse. I'm going to pray about what God is saying to me. We hear that way too often. I tell you this, God is saying run. When that starts to happen under any circumstances, do not get involved. You don't need to pray about it. Ezekiel has some very powerful words in chapter 14. It says, Then some of the leaders of Israel visited me, and while they were sitting with me, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Why should I listen to their requests? Tell them, 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Israel have set up idols in their heart and fallen into sin. And then they go to a prophet asking for a message. So I, the Lord, will give them the kind of answer their great idolatry deserves. Put that another way. They will hear a voice and think it will be me, but it won't be me. I will allow them to hear what they have already determined in their heart that they want to hear. You know, we often say as pastors, people come to us for our opinion and they've already made their mind up. And you sometimes wonder, what's the point of them coming? That's basically what Ezekiel is saying then. Sometimes God will give you what you've already decided in your heart to do. So don't bother to come to me just to make it look better. Secondly, revelation from God will produce fruit in our character and conduct. It will make us more like Jesus. Very quickly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. If revelation has the effect of making us overconfident or proud or arrogant or conceited or unteachable and dogmatic, then its source needs to be questioned. In Romans 14, Paul says these words, the kingdom of God is not found in food and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. These are the things that mark out the touch of the Holy Spirit. Any revelation that does not produce this fruit needs to be questioned. Again, it really doesn't matter how supernatural the revelation was. It isn't the measure of authenticity. You know, sometimes we come across people and they're into this argument or this discussion or that fight or whatever in the Christian, and we sometimes just say to them, how does that make you more like Jesus? I think that's a good question that we need to ask ourselves time and time again when I'm getting involved with something. Does this make me more like Jesus? Thirdly, does my church family, does my faith community, do those people that I do life with confirm what I have heard? You know, our consciences are slippery and our desires and hopes are easily too confused with that of God's voice. Even our use of scripture can easily become self-serving. If I can say it like this, we can make scripture say whatever we want it to say. <laughs> In order to be safe, revelation needs to be confirmed by others. I believe one of the biggest reasons people mess up their lives is because they try to live it without any accountability to anyone else, without support, without confirmation, without any counsel. Trusted counsel in this whole area is crucial. Having friends whom we can use as sounding boards when we think God might be leading us can be very helpful. It is often easier to justify something to ourselves than it is to convince other people. Sharing the leading we have received can bring a sense of objectivity to our reasoning. You know, the Bible says, smart people get advice, fools don't. Can't be straighter than that, can you, really? Smart people get advice, fools don't. Another one says, in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Of course, this is not an infallible me method or measure either, as we could subconsciously choose friends who will tell us what we want to hear, or perhaps, as was the case with Job's friends and comforters, all our friends could be mistaken. Christian discipleship was never meant to be done in a solitary practice. It was always intended to take place as part of a community, a church community. Not that this always makes it easier as different voices and different friends' comments add their views 
and we can get even more confused sometimes, but generally when we consult and when we pray and when we discern and get advice with praying and discerning friends, God can bring clarification over a period of time. We need to be open to checks and balances of mature believers that if our revelation is of God, then it will bear witness with people eventually. Again, Proverbs says, the wisdom of the righteous can save you. Can I advise you, don't make huge life-changing calls on your own. You know, fourthly, revelation from God will produce liberty and not bondage. The Holy Spirit never produces bondage or brings us into bondage. Scripture attests that there are three conditions which are not products of the Holy Spirit. Bondage, confusion, and fear. Romans 8 says, you did not receive the spirit of a bondage again to fear. 1 Corinthians, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. 2 Timothy, God has, given us, has not given us the spirit of fear. Bondage, confusion, and fear are not fruits of the spirit. True revelation, a true word from God, brings people into a place where they are not enslaved, where they are not motivated by fear, where they are not confused. You know, over the years, I've watched people get so-called revelation, and sometimes because they haven't tested it or because they haven't discussed it with people, their lives get ensnared by that word that gave them, and they followed it religiously, and it ended up in fear and those things that we don't want. Revelation that comes from God produces life and not death. Revelation that comes from God may be convicting, but never condemning. It is important for those of us who follow Christ to know that there is a huge difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the enemy of our faith. It can affect how we approach life and our relationship with God. Please let there be no confusion. The Holy Spirit works and speaks to convict us, to push us away from the ensnarement of sin, to push us away from doing that which is wrong, but it will always push us towards God. The condemning spirit of the enemy of our faith works to push us away from God. Sadly, many of us mistake our low self-worth for God's voice. We have mistaken the voice of an unpleasable parent or significant voice who no matter how much we tried, we could never please them. They could not be pleased. And we have replaced the, the voice of God with that voice. That if we get a C, they wanted Bs. If we got Bs, they wanted As. And if we got As, they wanted A+. People take that voice and they transfer it to the Heavenly Father. No matter what supposed revelation they receive for themselves or others, it tends to highlight what they aren't doing. It's negative and it's condemning. See, the messages from the enemy of our faith are always vague and general. You know, that's, Satan's messages are so general, so vague. He generates a blanketing, choking sense of general guilt as though everything is wrong in our lives and that no action that we can take will overcome. <laughs> that is condemnation. Often a sense of complete hopelessness and weakness prevails. The enemy attacks us in general. You can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. We feel helpless and hopeless as he focuses on half-truths. 
But when the Holy Spirit convicts us, he is always specific and always redemptive. The Spirit says, fix this thing, fix these couple of things, and you will be free in that area. He commands you, he commands us to take specific action in the area, to make a choice of the will, the difference between condemnation and conviction. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is specific to sin. The Spirit defends us against our oversensitive conscience. He draws us to God. You see, conviction from God leads to confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Condemnation leads to a sense of worthlessness and hopelessness. <laughs> Sixthly, generally, revelation I receive will concern my responsibilities. I am a little bit weary of people who always have the word of the Lord for other people, and yet their own life and responsibilities are in a mess. You, that might be biblical, or it might be just being grumpy. Of course, we all know that our lives are broken, but there is some, also something of a challenge to speak these words out of the overflow of our own hearts and lives and situations, that we do out, out of a redemptive work that is happening in our lives. You know, you've probably already seen this in the times. If somebody has a prophetic word on a Sunday morning or Sunday night, they will they will usually, or they should, they'll be sent to talk to Don or myself. And if we know them, good. We will probably know something about their lives. And then if whatever they share with us, if we think that is good, then that is really good. And thus, we will allow it. We will not allow anybody to really prophesy if we don't know them. If somebody just comes in off the street and wants to prophesy, we will say no, because we have a responsibility, as it were, to shepherd that word that comes from God. It's got to be a safe place when people come to church. That is why we do it. That is why we sometimes say no, because we don't know them. We just think, nah, this doesn't, doesn't seem right, and it's contrary to what we believe God is saying to us. No, I am not saying, I'm not suggesting that God won't give you words for other people, because there are times he will give you words of encouragement, exhortation, and comfort for others. However, it seems that some people are too quick off the mark to have words for other people that they have no responsibility for. In John 21, Jesus is talking to Peter and he tells him how he is going to die. He explains that he is going to have to suffer for being a follower of Christ. Then Peter looks at John and then turns to Jesus and says, what about this guy? How is he going to die? I mean, Jesus wasn't going to tell him anyway, but he definitely wasn't going to tell him he's going to live until an old age and he's going to live on the Isle of Patmos. That wouldn't have gone down very well, would it? But basically, Jesus says, mind your own business. It isn't your responsibility, and I'm not going to tell you what doesn't concern you. He is not your responsibility. You know, a lot of well-meaning, well-intentioned Christians have done a lot of damage because they thought God was talking to them about what someone else should be doing. If you think he is giving you a word for someone and he is just doing that, then great. But tread carefully. Take it back to God. Chat with him again. 
let it sit until you have that real confirmation that you can't do anything else apart from give it. You know, if it is a word from the Lord today for someone, then it will still be a word from the Lord tomorrow or even next week or in a couple of days. This isn't called a lack of faith or not being willing to open, being open to the voice of God. It's called wisdom because the damage could be irreparable. Such words should be encouraging and comforting. It should confirm things that God is already saying to that person and he is already, is already ruminating in their spirit. It should not be directive and authoritarian. Seventhly and finally, God's revelation is always marked and characterized by his peace. I love Colossians 3.15 in the Amplified Version. It says this, And let the peace, the soul harmony which comes from Christ, rule, act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful state, to which as members of Christ's one body you are also called to live, and be thankful, appreciative, giving praise to God always. Isn't that great about the peace of God? You know, and Corinthians tells us that God is not the author of confusion. You know, as and when we receive revelation from God, it will bring a deep sense of peace with it, if it is right. Even if I may say so, that the word could be challenging, it will still bring peace with it. You know, when, when there is confusion, or pressure, or a sense of being driven, then it isn't from God. God leads. He doesn't drive. He leads us. He doesn't drive us. In testing a word from God, I always like to say, what would Jesus say? Would Jesus say it like this? It can be discerning. It can be challenging, I should say, to, to discern God's voice. His voice comes via the Spirit, and we can easily confuse it with the voice of our own experience, the way that we do things, or even our own desires. We see a poor reflection, as Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians. We can easily get it wrong. That's why God sent Jesus. His ultimate message delivered in the flesh. Everything Jesus said and did revealed the Father heart of God. So while the prophets spoke of words of God, Jesus was and is and forever will be the word of God, the personification of the invisible God, the very thoughts of God demonstrated for us all to see. It says in Hebrews, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophet. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty, the majesty on high. Therefore, every leading, every prophecy, every dream or vision, every claim that we think that God is speaking to us, I always ask the question, Would Jesus say this? Does it sound like him? Is this something that you can imagine Jesus sharing with you over a cup of coffee, even if it's a challenge? Does it line up with his words of compassion? Does it line up with his touches of healing 
and his acts of sacrifice? Is it consistent with his teaching on the kingdom, his generous provision for the hungry? Is it consistent with his kind and gentle treatment of women, of children, of the poor, of the lost? I believe every claim to hearing from God should be tested. Does it sound like my Jesus sounds? I wish to close with two brief takeaway submissions to leave us with. What God is calling us to is testing his voice. We are called to be discerning and not suspicious. He is not trying to make us suspicious and doubting and always questioning, but he is calling us to be a people of discernment. Will the musicians come forward, please? Thomas Boston, a Scottish reformed theologian from the 17th century says this, there is a happy medium between complete gullibility and the evil groundless suspicion that scripture condemns. There is a danger of making ourselves the rule of everything so that anything that does not meet our standard or our liking is automatically and absolutely condemned. We need to be very careful that we are discerning and not suspicious that we be really open to what God says and wants to do in our life. He goes on to say, let us allow the Holy Spirit to renew us to the place where we know the power and the insight that discernment brings, whilst at the same time dealing with the dangers that come with a suspicious heart. And finally, as I was preparing for today, I came across a quote that I'd never read before, but it deeply impacted me. Charles Spurgeon says these words, discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong, Rather, it is the difference between right and what is almost right. Discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. You know, today as we close this twin series of revival and hearing the voice of God, as we look to counter the wokeness of our culture and as we navigate difficult days, which I believe are only going to get more and more challenging, as we desire to see God move in revival in our time, in this generation, if there was ever a need to hear the voice of God accurately, precisely, correctly, it is today more than ever before. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.